it's exciting to welcome back Shanette Barthcone from the Hampton Classic Executive Director. Hello, Shanette. Hello, Christine. How are you? I'm doing well. Good, good, good. We talked a couple of years ago. I looked it up. It was four years ago. Can you imagine? Really? Was, Interesting. Uh, I know. We spoke four years ago about sponsorships and all kinds of other things. And a number of people in in production asked me to bring you back because this is 2022 and a lot's happened since four years ago. Yes. So, and I know you come from a positive perspective, as do I. And so I thought we could have a really interesting conversation about some of the changes that have taken place around sponsorship since COVID, but also around sponsorship in general. And secondly, we're going to talk a little bit about social media and events like yours. Your event, the Hampton Classic, sometimes has anywhere between 30 and 40,000 people visiting in a week. Is that right? Do I have those numbers right? We're more 40 to 50, actually. Yeah. Oh, okay, great. Well, even, even more. And they come in a week. So your entire pot is for seven days in a year. But at the same time, I think you're one of the more successful groups um, in our company, I should say, I should say in full disclosure, Blue Shoe Strategy works with the Hampton Classic during the Horse Show Week, and we work on their social media, but it's still driven by Shanette's vision for it. But you do well all year round around it. There's a buzz around the Hampton Classic that continues to pull through. So those are the two topics we wanted to talk about today. But let's start with sponsorship. First of all, I was at the Hampton Classic last summer, and I think pretty much most of your sponsors came back after COVID. Is that right? So we have about 100 corporate sponsors from year to year, and that was the same. I mean, the the number of sponsors was the same. And in fact, our total sponsor revenue in 2021 was the best it's ever been, actually. What do you credit that to? Did you keep in touch with them during COVID? Did you offer them things during COVID? Now, you and I talked during that 2020 period, and I know you did a lot of outreach on social media because you have a huge following in there. So you were able to bring those brands some exposure when, even though you weren't going to have the show in 2020. But I would be very curious to know, what do you credit that to, other than your brilliance, of course? <laughs> Well, and it's a great event, right? I, so, I mean, it makes my job a little easier that people want to be at the Hampton Classic. My team and I do work hard, but we have a really wonderful product that we're selling. We did stay in touch with so many of our sponsors in the year that we took off. We did not have a horse show in 2020. Yes. And um, we had a number of sponsors that had already committed either as part of multiple year deals or had already just signed their sponsorship agreement with us for 2020 prior to us canceling the show. So they weren't all the same. We, what we said, we said to all of them, if you would like a refund, we can give you a refund. Or if they hadn't paid anything yet, they didn't have to pay for the year yet. But we offered to basically roll over the sponsorship to the following year. If it was multiple year agreement, just add another year in. And they, they all chose to do that. Some of them who had already paid part of their sponsorship fee agreed to let us hang on to it and roll that toward over, which was a huge help from a cash flow standpoint. For, and to add to your credit and to sure. what you're talking about, most of your sponsors are not in and out sponsors for one year. They are committed sponsors who have been there for substantial amounts of time. So there's a real relationship there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And we didn't yeah. have none of the ones I'm talking about was it their first year as a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the ones that either rolled over to the fall, well, yeah, extended their sponsorship for an, another year were sponsors that had been with us for at least 
one or two years and some for many, many years. So anyway, that's what we decided to do with a lot of them. And where we could, we did some activation for those, not for, we actually did get one or two sponsors that we got some sponsor revenue specific to 2020 for activation we did on social. There was about a handful of those, but there were others that we did. NetJets is a good example. They were in the middle of a multi-year agreement. They were very generous and let us keep what they had already spent and we extended their sponsorship. So they didn't spend additional dollars in 2020, but we did some promotion with them, including an e-blast, which as I'm sure you're aware, we do actually don't do any e-blasts for sponsor, with sponsor messaging. That's exclusive sponsor messaging. Usually we just don't want our followers to be inundated with, you know, as I mentioned, we have a hundred corporate sponsors with like lots of junk email, but with NetJets and the unique situation with COVID where people were not wanting to travel with commercial travel, but they still needed to get places. We felt that was a true benefit to our followers to learn about how NetJets works. And NetJets extended the opportunity to travel privately with them, even if you were not a subscriber. I'm not exactly sure how their memberships work, but because of someone's connection to the Hampton Classic, they would be able to get in with NetJets in a more streamlined way with a point person. So we worked with them to basically create a special opportunity for Hampton Classic people. So that I felt was a true added value for them because they were getting something that we don't even give to any of our sponsors as far as that type of messaging, but also a benefit to the people who are on our email list. That was really well received all around. Yeah. Well, and the Hampton Classic is sponsored by luxury brands and luxury brands were very concern during this time because people started to change the way they lived. And so they were maybe not going to pay anymore, you know, $2,000 for a pair of shoes. So it is one of those moments in time where they were adjusting that. That's a great example of how you looked at what was happening in the world and you addressed it around there. Do you see an overall change in sponsorship requests and the parameters of what they want out of their sponsorships based on that year and a half of uh, quiet. Has it changed or do you think it's gone back to what it was before? Or what's your vision there? I feel like it hasn't really changed. Some of the things that people look for most when they want to be a sponsor of the Hampton Classic are hospitality. So that changed a little. There are some brands that even for 2021, that their corporate, you know, some of the bigger brands that we were talking to, that their corporate guidance on business travel and the ability to get together in groups more than say 10 people um, as part of an official work function was still prohibited from a corporate guidelines, you know, policy standpoint. So some of those potential sponsors ended up not coming in or came in in a way so that they didn't have a table or they didn't have elements that would bring their employees together in a group, but would still give them some brand visibility at the Hampton Classic. But hospitality is a big driver for a lot of our sponsors. And that has continued to be the case. And in fact, even since 2021, we've been talking, you know, we work on this year round. Um, we've been talking to a lot of folks about 2022. We've already signed a few new sponsors for 2022. And we've upsold some sponsors that wanted to expand their, um, their sponsorship and their presence with us, including additional VIP presence. So, one of the things we did in 2021 is we reduced the number of VIP tables. So now we have less inventory. So it makes it more expensive 
we've always had a finite number of tables, but we now have fewer of those tables. And we're basically sold out oh, right now of ringside tables based on the renewals that were in the, and the new sponsors that we've gotten. And assuming that we need to hold those tables that were there for people who want to come back. Obviously, some either personal table patrons or corporate sponsors will not come back, most likely. There's always some change. Yeah, yeah. But right at this point, we have to maintain a waiting list. I mean, if we had a new, new company come in, they would be on a waiting list. And, and there might be some folks that then we'll, we'll have to move to a different tent or to, you know, we have the chalet too, but it's a high class problem, but still a challenge when yeah. <laughs> people have expectations to be in some one place versus another. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Now we're going to move a little bit over to social media. Sure. Um, now, there are more and more events that are trying to make sure that they're not sort of in and out for that week period, that one week period, where they have the spike in social media coverage and people following them. And then they sort of go silent, if you will, for the rest of the year. But then to build that back up is really not working. There's a before the event during the event and after the event. And then I consider there's a fourth category and that's off season of the event. So in your case, that would be from like November to March. So Mm -hmm. before the event, there's tons to talk about and build up and everything else. And after the event, there's wrap up and interesting this and interesting that, but how do you approach it? And have you, do you outline a outline of what you're going to post or how do you approach making sure that you continually are in front of your social media groups, but not with boring stuff that's just filler? Yeah, it's a great (laughs) question. So sometimes we map out specific campaigns that we might want to do. Usually, well, we've done it in the winter too, where like we've gone to, like a couple years ago, we went to a number of horse shows and we have some of our core staff that work like a, at the Winter Equestrian Festival in Wellington through the winter. So we had regular posts mm. from there and we had a hashtag Hampton Classic Field Trip. So we've done some of those types of things. We have not done that since COVID because we're not, I mean, we probably could bring that back up because they still have folks that are working there, although they're stuck in an office. So they need lots of the same. <laughs> it's hard for them to get out and get lots of pictures. But um so we do some of that, some mapping of it, but there's Kate Soroka, who, you know, who's our assistant site manager right. does, she takes Great beautiful photographer, by the way, yeah, yeah. she takes beautiful pictures and she has marching orders to sort of, if she has, a, she takes a gorgeous picture or, you know, she can post those anytime. It's not like we're signing. We, we all have sort of on the same page when it comes to voice and, and sort of the eye we want pictures that are our image that sort of the Hampton classic brand. So those go up all the time. And sometimes pictures from the actual event, do we do some flashbacks and that kind of thing. But there was just a picture yesterday or the day before that she posted, I think for a lead line shot from the show that had more on Instagram that had like 900 likes and tons of comments and stuff. So we do get these little bursts of engagement that are the same level that we get during the week of the show. But most stuff we get, they're more in like, if we get a couple hundred likes, that's a successful, you know, in the off season. That's but it's still worth doing because you feel like you're continually in front of your clientele. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So we don't do as much on Facebook. Now we've, we've actually 
the rules that we used to follow years ago where we'd say, oh, we always do different content on Facebook and Instagram. Sometimes we do that, like if it's something specific that we think is going to be successful on Facebook, that we'll put an article, articles we'll put on Facebook, that kind of thing. But the images that we put on Instagram, we just click, yeah, put this on Facebook too, because people like it there. But I feel like there are fewer people that are our core audience that are on Facebook that are looking to us for content this time of year, if that makes sense. I think they're looking for the content closer to the show, during the show. And Twitter, we only do during the show and when we have something to say. So like all the clubhouse things we've been doing, we tweet those because that's a breaking news. Tune in for this, tune in for that. Which Um, by the way, you you know, I'm a total, I think Twitter is really a great newsreel and and people are saying, yeah, there's so much stuff. And I said, look, every individual who uses Twitter has control over what comes onto their feed. Yeah. And so whoever you follow, I, you know, I don't read the New York Times anymore, but I follow on Twitter people who write for the New York Times. So when they have an article and it goes up on Twitter, then I can read it. So I do. I so appreciate people like you who say, okay, breaking news goes into Twitter, but nowhere else. It matters that you define what kind of content goes onto what platform. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I know you probably don't want to spend time talking about Clubhouse because there are not that many people on there now, but I've found a lot of value in it. So just to explain briefly Clubhouse, I know you know this, but others might not. Oh, if you love Clubhouse, you should talk about it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a relatively new, I think it started in April of 2020, maybe. I think that's right. So it's almost two years old. Really? God, time has flown. A year and a half. I yeah. don't think I learned about it till it was almost a year old because I joined in January of 21. Which, by the way, is when I joined because you told me to. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. There you go. Um, but it's an audio app and it's kind of like talk radio meets podcasting. And you can have conversations about any topic. And we created a Hampton Classic Club on there and we've been doing weekly rooms. So their room is synonymous with conversation. The the sort of structure is it's a clubhouse. There are clubs within the clubhouse, and then you have a room within your club, which is the conversation. And we've been doing topics relating to anything that makes sense for the Hampton Classic. So equestrian industry related, East End of Long Island related, that's sort of broad, right? So it could be equestrian fashion, or it could be animal welfare, or it could be specific to training young horses, or history on the history of Bridgehampton. So those are some of the topics we've done recently. And in the last, I guess, about a month ago, they started having replays, because it used to be only real time. Right. And now, yeah, yeah, exactly. now they're taped, and you can go listen they're to archives old. now where you can. Yeah, so which is yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Because that gives it more legs. Because we don't, you don't get that many people in a room at a time. I mean, you can. There are rooms that have. Oh, there are rooms. I, I can't. I'm shocked sometimes. It's like, but we don't get. We don't <laughs> get that. We get tens of people, not hundreds or thousands of people. But it's available to for replay. And in addition to the people we're reaching who are listening to these, I'm finding that some of the biggest value I'm getting is when I put the rooms together and get the panelists and connect with the town historian and other leaders within like the police department and the fire department to talk about event security, just even setting it up, having the talk. And then afterwards where they had such a great time and we're texting back and forth. And now I have a better relationship with them. It's, 
it's sort of an unexpected thing. Although if you think about it, why I should have expected it, but the whole relationship building that Mm -hmm. I'm getting out of it also with some like top writers who I know, but don't know very well, but then I get them to be on a panel. So we're texting back and forth a bunch of times before we have this hour long conversation and then we're texting after. And then I'll get a random text from them asking some other question that's unrelated, but now we're friends. So the value of that kind of thing, I hadn't anticipated and it's worth it to me. So but it's funny you say that because one of the things that I think works well for Clubhouse, and I go in probably twice a week and I try to go in when you guys have events, but I, if I get in twice a week, it's a lot for me because most of the talk takes place during the day, at least from the groups that I'm looking to participate with and or at five o'clock, which my day does not end at five. So sometimes it's hard for me to get in there, but here's what I think also works for it. In this world of isolation right now, it's a way to not listen passively. And it's a way to be with people. Yeah. Because you can direct message other people in the room, you can do all these things. And so somehow it's almost like going to dinner with 10 people. So I don't mind when the room's small. In fact, in some ways that works better for me. Because you can go up on stage and you can talk and you can answer and you can ask a question, which is the same thing as going out to dinner with really interesting people. So I think one of the ways Clubhouse has worked is not just about disseminating information, but also the engagement during the Clubhouse event. So I see what, yeah, and I see especially on yours because a lot of it will be similar. The same people come to a lot of your things because they're Mm -hmm. people really committed to this community. And it's like, oh, hi, you know, wasn't last week greater? You know, there's just a, a dialogue that takes place that would be the same thing as if you and I were at a Japanese restaurant for dinner. Which <laughs> <laughs> I miss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so there's a plug for Clubhouse, which uh, sort of exploded and then died in many ways. Yeah. Well, um, I think when the world, you know, it was doing so well when everyone was more locked down. Yep. It is international. So there are things going on at all times, but you're absolutely right. Sometimes yeah. there are definitely things that I'm like, oh, I'd love to do that. I'm like, I can't do it at that time. But yeah. that's what's nice about these replays now. So you can't exactly. have a topic that was really interested. You, you can't ask questions the way you would if you did it in real time yeah. or be part of the conversation, but you can listen and hear what they spoke about the way you would have had podcasts. I have to say, I think I mentioned this to you. You did a podcast. I was listening to one of your podcasts the other day and I kept wanting to like put my hand up and be part of the conversation. I'm like, oh, right. No, I, I can't do that. I'm, well, I'll I put a plug in. It's, it's Screen Thoughts <laughs> and we were podcasting on Don't Look Up. And yes. uh, being the Ricardos. So we, we do movie reviews uh, from a female perspective every week. And you were talking about that. And it was great. Your comments are always great and always welcome. And you're always welcome to come on our podcast anytime you want. You know, um, we're actually Thank you. podcasting tonight, um, The Lost Daughter. Have you seen that yet? I haven't seen that, but it's on my list. So I know. I will, yeah. well, I'll I, watch I will. it and then I'll listen to your exactly. podcast. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for taking this time with us today. We're really grateful to have your expertise and also you're always so forthcoming with whatever you're up to and what you're thinking about. So I'm going to ask a couple more quickie questions. And so do you think sponsorship is more challenging to fulfill than it was two years ago? That's a good question. I don't know. It depends on the sponsor, really. I think that that's always a challenge. I think it's two things. It's fulfillment, which maybe isn't as challenging because we're not going to sell something we can't fulfill. So that is, you know, upfront when we're putting a package together, 
we will put together things that we know we can, we can accomplish. Activation is maybe a little harder. And I think, I don't know if that's across the board or just at the Hampton Classic, but it's always a challenge, you know, going back again to the fact that we have so many corporate sponsors, sponsors don't want to get lost in the clutter, which they shouldn't, you know, the, the, <laughs> then it's exactly. not money well yeah. spent. So we are always working to figure out how to give them a splash with in some way, even if the rest of their presence is same as everyone else, like a sign in the ring or their Jumbotron commercial or, you know, their ad in the program, but they might have some special thing that goes on with them. And that could be making sure that a rider comes and says hello to their guests on, a, on one a day when they have some important guests attending or their sponsor of a competition, letting them out onto the field to walk the course beforehand. So those kinds of things or activation even beyond the showground. So if it's an alcohol beverage sponsor, working with them to create like a custom cocktail that then they can have, you know, a Hampton classic cocktail that's sold in, in restaurants in the area of the weeks leading up to the show or those types of activation. And then talking about it on social media so that doesn't just have legs for the three people that are sitting at the table exactly. nearby when someone yeah. orders that. There's that, um, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think those are the kinds of things that I don't know that that's new because that's something that I've been mindful of for decades now. It's been a long time, but um, not just at the Hampton Classic, but with other event sponsorship, you know, activations that I've tried to make as valuable as possible. But that is an ongoing issue is how do you activate in a way that adds value and that gets your sponsor feeling that they've got something that it was worthwhile and that they want to come back. And I feel like we've been pretty successful with that. If you look at our, on our, one of the things on our website where we list all our sponsor logos, we say sponsor since, and we have the year because it's something we're very proud of. So many of our sponsors have been with us right. year after year after year. And they wouldn't and do that if they didn't get a return on their investment. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So. Huh. Well, best of luck for 2022. Can't wait to see you there. And, yeah. um, and thanks for taking this time today. May, let's thanks, make sure Christine. we don't wait another four years. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm happy to do it whenever. It's, it's talking about sponsorship and stuff. It's my happy place. Oh, and we we should do. We were doing a clubhouse on this very topic on the 25th of January at four thirty, five thirty, I think. Hmm. So. Okay, I'll make sure I'm there. Okay, yeah. talk to you soon. Okay. Bye.